All right, this is episode number four on the Nick Ant Podcast. I'm here with Jake Fox. He is a traveler, photographer, guitarist. He's pretty much done it all. He's been to a lot of countries, a lot of continents, national parks. This guy has been everywhere. Jake, it's good to have you on here, man. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. Doing great. How about you? Um, well, man, I've been excited to have you, have you on because you're one of my friends and it's going to be good. Who is Jake oh, Fox? Man. What is your background? How'd you get here? Yeah, that's a tough question. I mean, honestly, I still don't know who is Jake Fox. I still can't answer that. I feel like it's always a journey figuring out, you know, what you're doing, what you're up to and kind of where you're going. Yeah. Um, I guess the main summary is just uh, I'm a guy who loves to travel loves to be out in the world and experiencing new things, whether that be, you know, national parks, getting outside into nature, um, or a completely different continent, a completely different country. Just like doing new things and like doing, um, doing what's different. Yeah. Jake, I've been following you since about 2021, right during January. You followed me, followed you. And since that time to all the way to now, you've traveled a lot okay how yeah did you get into traveling jake how did this all start yeah (laughs) yeah it's actually it's actually a long story and um yeah it goes back to my parents so i grew up i'm really really lucky for this and my parents were like avid travelers going up they were they were always taking me on trips you know when i was a little kid and stuff and so just going on different going to different places which kind of like a part of what i did every single day and every year we would go, we don't celebrate Christmas, we're Jewish. So every year on Christmas time, everyone would be off celebrating with our family. And we'd be like, oh, well, we don't celebrate. Let's go somewhere. And so my parents would, you know, start taking us on trips. And we would go kind of mainly to the Caribbean to start and some places in Central America when I was like pretty young. And then after a while, they were like, all right, we've seen a lot of the Caribbean and stuff. You guys are getting older. Like maybe we can you know, venture out to different continents, different countries and stuff like that. And so we kind of bridged that gap a little bit and they started taking me outside of the comfort zone of the Caribbean, started taking longer flights. And yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of where it all comes from, which is growing up, you know, going, going out once or twice a year, you know, whether it was during the summer or during Christmas break, it was just a huge thing for my family. We always did it. And then, yeah, eventually got into college and my parents, started asking me about like, where did we want to go for, you know, our trips. And I started, you know, taking some interest in it, looking into things that I wanted to do and pitching them some different ideas. And the first trip that we actually did, which was like, because of me was this trip to Norway in 2016. Um, Cause that was when I was first getting into photography. I found CRISPR cards work, which I mean, obviously the dude's a legend, but I mean, the shots of the Northern lights that he had, I was just going completely insane and I was like I need to see that for myself so I like I, sh- I sent my parents some of his pictures I was like look the northern lights are so cool like we should go see it they're like but it's gonna be like negative 10 degrees how do we go and so they started getting freaking out about the cold and whatever and somehow I don't I don't know what I did but I convinced them like let's just do it like it'll be different than our normal trips we were always in the Caribbean or you know going somewhere in the summer in Europe that's warm like let's let's go to Norway let's do something completely out of the blue and they loved it. Um, my dad let me borrow his camera and 
We had like a D3500 at the time. I knew absolutely nothing about it, but I did some research on like how to how to shoot the Northern Lights. And I brought this little like tripod with me that my dad had that was like a foldable one. Like the legs are not sturdy at all. Like you can blow it over in the wind. Um, it's terrible. And one night we saw the Northern Lights. It's like rushing to set it up, get the camera settings going. And I managed to get like one okay shot of the Northern Lights themselves. It has no foreground, no interest. Like it's completely boring, but it was awesome. And then after that, I was like, hmm, I kind of like this photography thing. Like I want to... I want to do some of it myself. And so I just kept uh, hanging on to his camera, got back to college. And, you know, I went into this club at my school, which was the outdoors club. And I kind of went out every weekend with them and I took my dad's camera with me. So I guess he never got it back. And then, yeah, the rest was kind of history. Started planning the trips for my family and then eventually graduated. And I was like, time to uh, do things for myself. And then from there, pretty much spent any time that I have free in another country, finding new new opportunities, new places, and just discovering the world. That is awesome. Not many people get an experience like that growing up. And No, yeah, I'm so grateful for it. 2016, you started college, right? And that's when yeah, you went that to Nor- that's when you went to Norway, picked up the camera. Mm-hmm. 2016, you were a freshman in college, took photos for the first time in photography. Was that trip your first time ever taking photos on a camera or did you take photos before that? Mm, yeah, it was pretty much my first time. Um, yeah, I hadn't really so, done much before. Awesome. So you pick up your camera 2016 and... What makes you keep taking photos? What? Why did you keep going to all the way to now? Like, what do you like? What do you like about it? Actually, wait. Well, I'll answer that in a sec. But to be fair, um, I guess originally, like, I'd never taken photos on a camera, but obviously through all of our traveling, like, we have a camera with us, and like, it was always kind of something I was exposed to, and like having travel pictures and stuff. And I t- took pictures with my iPhone as best I could, so I was always kind of like interested in the art form, but. Yeah, that was the first trip that like I used a camera camera. And I don't know what it was like that made me want to keep doing it. And I, I guess the way I think about it now is it wasn't necessarily like photography was like it. It was more traveling was it. And for me, bringing my camera around was something to do while I travel to remember it at that time. So I just always wanted to like have the best pictures to like show off to all my friends to be honest (laughs) like look at all this crazy stuff I've done look at these cool pictures and since then it's become much more of like an art form to me and I really do try to focus on like fine art landscape photography and you know adventure type like inspirational photos but yeah at the start it was definitely a place more more of a place first and then you know photography after I've definitely since done some like photography first trips but I still like approach travel in the aspect of like I want to get everything I can out of the location I'm going for the location travel is always the first priority for me pretty much these days as much as I do love photography I don't know I always have my camera with me when I'm traveling I still consider myself a traveler first and then a photographer second and I think like having that distinction is really big because when you go with this mindset of 
photography, photography, photography. You spend all of your time like chasing photos and like you get, you miss out on some of the experiences that you get to have as a traveler. And I think having a balance of both is really nice. So for me, like what that means in most of my trips these days is I focus mainly on landscape photography and, you know, do some street photography if I'm going to like a particular, you know, cultural festival or something like in Thailand, there was a Songkran festival, you know, if I went to like a wool making factory in Peru, whatever. So like those different experiences, I think show a lot about the culture and it's important to take my camera there to like show it. But then that's where I cut the line where it's like, I make time for in my trip for solely photography style stuff where I'm hiking all the time, going to see all the natural side of things. And then in the big cities, I try not to take my camera with me unless I think it's a day where you don't want to be focusing on like the, the people themselves and like telling their story. So that's kind of the distinction for me is like building in a little bit of room for both. Cause I think both are really important and I don't think you could get the same growth and experiences that you would get as a traveler if you're only going for photography. You know, this reminds me of the car ride we had when we were in Sequoia National Park. You were telling me, Nick, it's not all about the photos. You need to yeah. take a day to take in the culture. And since that conversation, that was back in June, by the way, that's been over six months now. Um, yeah, It's sat with me and I've, looked at the way I go places differently, even if I don't go far all the time, right? But still, I look at these places differently because of what right. you said. You need to take in the culture because it helps you get a better understanding of what you're looking at and what these landscapes mean to these types of people. And you answered my question that I was going to ask you, does photography and traveling, are they this do they go together? Is one more important to the other? I was going to ask you if photography is your passion, but it seems like travels number one, then photography comes second, which is awesome because a lot of people yeah. lose that, that feeling when they travel. Oh, it's all about the photos now. And I got to post on Instagram. I love that you've been right. able to keep right. that priority of taking it all in. Like, how do you do that? Do you, do you write something out and say, this is going to be only travels, only photo. I know you answered that a little bit, but how do you stay on top of that for so many years consistently? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the kind of change for me happened like, um, over one of my trips, I was doing some work for a brand. Um, this is actually a trip in Peru where I was doing some work for a brand and um, my idea was like, oh, I'm going to shoot like this content, like at the top of, um, Machu Picchu. I did like a four day hike to get there and I got to the top and like, dude, the last thing I wanted to do was sit and like, look at, you know, their brand and like sit there. Like I, I wanted to sit and listen to my tour guide who I'd been with for five days, talk about the history of this amazing place, like the natural wonder of the world, like completely insane place. And so for me, for me, like learning and traveling that that's what it's about. And the photography, I guess, yeah, it's secondary, but also at the same time. So I guess, I guess for me, I try to focus on like, um, I know you watch Nigel dance and stuff too. So something he always talks about is like, when he gets to a location, he takes an apple and he just says, just sit, just observe, just learn. And 
be present in that moment. And then you could take your photos, you know, like get what you can out of it and then see what interests you in the scene and then go take your photo. That's how you get the best composition, right? Now think about it the same with traveling, like go somewhere, experience it, learn about it, find what makes it interesting to you, find the facts about it, the experiences, the culture, like whatever it is for you that makes it the most interesting, observe that and then convey it in a photo, you know? So for me, when you're going just for the photo, then you're not thinking about like, what is it about this place that's so interesting to me? Like, what do I want to capture? You're just thinking, oh, this is pretty. Like, let me take the most like picturesque photo I can. Let me think only about composition. Let me find like the main angle, like the viewpoint that I see on everyone's Instagram. And instead I approach it more like, what's interesting about this place that's different? What what did I just learn about that I want to kind of focus on? You know, so for me, those are, that's kind of how I stay grounded in it is like, I'm there to learn. Traveling is a learning experience. And that's kind of like where I'm going with my whole photography and travel, like all my, all my, I guess my personal brand that I'm kind of working on in my future blog. It's just all about learning, man. Cause just, yeah. I mean, I know we're going to talk about that a bit later, but that's, that's just what it's about for me. And I think if you don't have that intention, you're going to miss out on, on a lot of what it means to travel. For those of you who are listening, take this advice and run with it. This is coming from a guy who's been to many places, seen many things, take it, internalize it. Think about it because the next time you go travel, maybe try to go in and learn first, take photos second. And this Brings me to my next question. You've lived out east your whole entire life. Obviously, yeah. you've visited the west, but recently you just moved out here to LA. Is there something yeah. that's different culture-wise here? I know when we hung out, you picked up on the the way I talk. I totally talk like a Californian. Yeah, I guess people and, pick up on the way I talk too, though. <laughs> right. Right. What are some culture changes that you've noticed living down in LA versus growing up in New York, being there your whole life? Yeah, I think definitely the physical aspect of being in Los Angeles is just completely, completely different from New York. The city is an active city. People are doing sports all the time. People are in amazing shape. There's the beach right there. There's the ocean. Like fitness is a huge priority for the people here. And I really like that. I'm I'm very big into fitness. I spend a lot of my time working out when, you know, I'm not doing other things. Even when I'm traveling, I'm still working out. So um, for me, the physical fitness thing has been really, really awesome because in New York, that's not necessarily something that you think about. The other thing is like, in general, there's more to do in like California. Like in New York, we have a weekend free or something. Like, what are you going to do in New York? Maybe you go to like a Broadway show if you want to spend the money. But otherwise, it's just like, oh, we're going to go drink. We're going to go eat. We're going to go out to a party, you know? Maybe we're hang out, go to watch a movie or something, which is all stuff you could do in LA. But the added benefit is like, now we have like, oh, we're going to go snowboarding. It's like two hours away. We're going to go to the mountains. It's a few, three hours drive to Sierra, you know? Like, oh, we want to go to San Diego, hiking. All of these things are just so accessible down here. And it just makes the, I guess, overall experience a lot more diverse in what you're getting out of a city. The only downside is 
you just can't get around anywhere in LA. Not only the traffic sucks, but the public transportation is just egregious. I'm used to, you know, hop on a train and you're wherever you need to be. But over here, you have to hop on a traffic and then you have to worry about parking. Even like I go to the gym here and it's like, wait for, you know, 20 minutes to find parking. It's crazy. You know, I don't, I don't envy you about the whole gym thing because I know fitness is crazy down there. <laughs> I live in a small town. So my idea of a busy gym is probably a lot different than your idea of a busy gym. And definitely. going back to you moving over here, was there a little bit of a excitement and mystery about the West since you grew up on the East? I know you traveled before you traveled over here, like frequently, like was there kind of a mystery about like California, LA, Hollywood, the mountains? It has its hype. Was that, it definitely has yeah. its hype. Um, yeah, I, it, growing up on the East Coast, everyone romanticizes California. Like New York City is New York City, but everyone from New York City is always talking about like the only other place that people from New York City will talk about is like Miami to party and like LA to go be whatever, you know, like especially LA in particular, like California has that reputation here. It's like that dream destination for a lot of New Yorkers. They're like, oh, the weather here is like way better in, in California and stuff. And those are definitely things that get talked about on the East Coast. Um, so for me, it was always like this kind of, like you talk about people in New York, like I was always one of those people that people were like, oh, like you would fit in in LA. You would be so good in California. Cause like the outdoorsy thing, like the nature, the fitness, all that stuff. And that's less of a thing in, in um, New York. So it's like this mystique of like these free flowing surfing, like that whole vibe is just <laughs> hyped up a lot over there, especially cause all the, all you see in movies is like Hollywood. I mean, you see New York too, but it's different. It's more like hustle and bustle, which it is. So like you see, you see both sides of it and you're like, start to romanticize it in your head before you get out here. I think growing up here and not growing up in the city, it was different because everywhere I go, oh, you're from California. Do you live in LA? No, I live in a farm town. <laughs> like a lot of people think LA is the center of the universe in terms of California, right? And they don't realize the state is huge. And that just goes to show yeah, it's massive. how fantasized and picturized LA is. And it's just crazy. Jake, you just recently went to Argentina. I've been waiting to have <laughs> you on here to talk to you about this. Man. I wasn't going to text you about it <laughs> because I wanted to have you on here tell me for the first time. I am I'm stoked right now bro, to ask you about this stuff. Culture, Man. landscape. You went during the World Cup, photography, Patagonia, yep. the mountains on your sweatshirt, Jake. Okay, yes, let's, go, let's go in order. Yes, let's let's talk about the culture. Let's talk about the culture. You went right after the World Cup. How okay. was that first, man? Tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I mean, what a time to be there. I was probably there one, maybe one day after the main celebration. I like tried to switch my flight to get over there and it's just, it was too expensive. It was too fast. I just couldn't make it happen. Um, so I was there like, you know, one day after they helicoptered Messi out of, out of the obelisk. So, um, yeah, I missed like the total, total craziness, but the city was still really, really, really vibrant. Um, 
there's kind of like two things going on. There was like the main thing, which is like they just won the World Cup. This place is bouncing off the walls. Every party was just completely packed and they're playing the World Cup song and everyone's screaming, going crazy. And then there's the other side. They're going through like a lot of economic turmoil and there's quite a lot of protests going on throughout the city. So you have on one hand, like people getting really excited and like being really nationalist about their country. But on the other hand, like a lot of people are like, yeah, we won the World Cup, but like we still have problems. And so you see like a big kind of clash between those two while I was there, which was really interesting. But in terms of like being different than America, man, they are on a completely different schedule, completely different schedule entirely. Entirely. Well, what do you mean by that? Are they out? Are they awake later? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do they yeah. wait completely? Like, yeah. So, like, I know th- their work day, for instance, is like eight to twelve, and then, or maybe, maybe a little bit later, and then, like, between four and eight, the entire city shuts down. You can't get food. There's, the only things that open is like cafes, maybe. And then at eight o'clock, everything opens back up for dinner. So they like do like European style where they take like a siesta yeah. in the middle of the day. But even still, like I would say on a weekday, people were probably out getting dinner at like 10, 30, 11 on average. And like the weekends, people, people eat dinner at like midnight and they go out at, you know, they pregame after like one o'clock and they get to the club at like two. It probably starts to pick up like 4 a.m. and you're out till seven especially with the world cup going on. Like that was like all the city was like, it was just shut down. And then at night you just party and you wake up at like two the next day. At least I was doing, I wasn't expecting to party that much when I was in Buenos Aires, but they party at breakfast breakfast time. Yeah. No. (laughs) Yeah. You, you will, you will be out until sunrise every night there. It's, it's a whole different ball game. Yeah, I've yeah. had a friend so who was a foreign exchange student. He said he's from Spain. He they don't get home till five a.m. in the morning. It's just crazy. Yeah, because you will experience that. You've been yeah, to dude, Europe. Spain's the same way. You've been to Argentina now, and after all the culture in Buenos Aires, you went to Patagonia next, right? Yeah. So I actually, I actually went to Patagonia first. So I came in. I spent like a day in Buenos Aires and. Yeah, but it was, it was like, my friend was backpacking through South America for three months. So that was like the main like reason I was going. He had like five days left at the end of his trip. I had like two weeks in Argentina in total. And so like when we got there, he was like, I want to do Patagonia one more time before I leave. So we're like, all right, we're going to do Patagonia. So I fly in and then we have a 7 a.m. flight the next day, right? And he's like, oh, this friend that I've been traveling with for three months, like this is his last day. Like we have to do something special. So uh, he was in Uruguay for the day and he came back at like 8 p.m. We got dinner like 9, 9.30. And he's like, all right, we're going to go all night then fly the next morning. And so we literally, I got there. I did some things on my own, like started to see the city a little bit. And then that night I completely pulled an (laughs) all-nighter going to the clubs, which was it's just so not like me. I'm not, I'm not like a crazy party person, but like that's that's what they were doing there. And it was just like, this is the energy. You go there and everyone's partying. It's like, it's fun. Um, you got to lean into that and, you know, experience what they're doing down there. So I was like, hell yeah, we're going to do this. Pulled an all-nighter and literally got back to our hotel or the hostel and then packed up our stuff and left. Like I didn't even unpack. It was crazy. And then the next day we were in Patagonia, which is nuts. How were- 
how are the hikes over there? I know you did a long hike on one of the days, right? Yeah, yeah. So um there's two like really, really, really big hikes in um in the Patagonia region that we were at. Um, I guess there's two different sections we went to. So we went to El Calafate, which is this kind of bigger town um, near Puerto Marino, Perito Marino Glacier, which is Los Glaciares National Park. Sorry if I'm botching the Spanish, but um, and then we went to El Chalten, which is this small, tiny little mountain town right next to you know the most iconic peaks in all of patagonia and so there's two main hikes that we did out of el chalten the first one was the hike to uh lagunos laguna de los tres which is the view of mount fitzroy which is like the logo of patagonia is based off that mountain and then there's another one called uh laguna torre which has the viewpoint of Cerro Torre, which is this huge, huge mountain. Um, actually, if you've watched The Alpinist, he did yeah. um, a free solo ascent up this, the one next to Cerro Torre. So he started in El Chalten. He was there. Like that's, that's like the base camp for you know all these crazy uh, Patagonia hikes. And so we didn't do anything too, too crazy, but we went up to Laguna de los Trace the first day, which is a 12.9 mile out and back loop. Um, but when we got to the the mountain, we were like, all right, it's just not like, you can't see it. And I was like, look, I'm here. I want to get a picture. And I was like, we're going to stay until it like clears up. We stayed for five hours waiting for it to clear up and it just kept getting gloomier and gloomier and gloomier. And we we're like, all right, maybe if we give it like 30 more minutes, it'll clear up. It didn't. I mean, we were just hanging out at the crystal clear yeah. blue lake with Fitzroy in the background. But so the next day we were like, all right, we want to do Cerro Torre hike but we also want to go back because it was a clear day. We were like, like I want to see it. Like I, want, I came all this way. I want to see it. So we thought that there was a trail that connects the two, which was only 1.5 miles. Um, but we completely misread the trail map. So we hiked up the like six miles to get to Fitzroy. Then we went back down, you know, maybe another mile and a half, two miles. And we cut across. We thought the cutting across would be 1.5 miles. It was four and a half miles. And it brings you to the middle of the trail. So once we're there, the other one's another uh, 5.5 kilometers. So like another three miles-ish to get up to Cerro Torre. And then we had to do the entire 11 11 kilometer trail back, which is like another eight miles. We were were like at 28, 30 miles in one day trying to do both of them at once, which was absolutely wild that we did that. the longest day hike I've ever done. And people usually do that entire loop in like a two day, three day window. And we did it in one day. Cause we were just like, we have to see them both. We can't not. So dude. Awesome. Hikes. I know, I know a guy just talking about day hikes real quick. I know a guy, he did a 40 mile round trip day hike in Sequoia <sighs> out to some big Alpine lakes. Right. And he said elevation crazy. over 10,000 feet, like cumulative. And just thinking about you getting close to three miles, like it's doable, right? Like now that you've done it and you know, you could do, you've ran a lot of miles, but after doing that type of day hike, would you do something to that extent again? Or is that kind of like, nope, never again. I'm only backpacking that if I go that long ever again. I mean, I always prefer backpacking to be honest, but I was right. 
couldn't get a permit to to go back there. Um, so if that's the case, kind of don't have a choice. Um, the longest hike I did before that was like 21 miles in the Adirondacks, which was still a lot. I, I try not to do it that long. Like I say, if it's over like 14 miles, I'm going to try to do it in two days, like backpack it. I would much rather take my time and then you get to see like sunrise, sunset and whatever, not press on time. Your feet don't hurt as much. It's not that bad. Exactly. So, yeah. Being, I, would, uh, I, would, I would try not to do that. <laughs> being a photographer, creative, um, Backpacking is the way to go just so you can enjoy the area more, take the photos at the good light. And that's interesting because yeah. I saw your photos in of Fitzroy and they still came out solid, man. And I'm sure it was no, nice yeah, to good. be able to capture those. And was it kind of just cool, like throwing it in Lightroom and just editing it? Like you're editing the Patagonia Mountains, like. I'm doing this right now. Yeah, no, it's it definitely, I guess it didn't, didn't hit as hard as maybe it should have. I guess that's what happens <laughs> when you travel as much as I do. Places become yeah. like, oh yeah, it's just like editing these Patagonia pictures. It's like, oh yeah, just another day. Um, <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't like a crazy experience. Fox. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like a crazy experience. I had just gotten gotten back from my second trip to Norway or I had do, done Northern Lights stuff which was way way more like mind-blowing for me than Patagonia um I guess because like the first time I went to Norway we didn't really get to see them like the lights weren't out it was kind of a bummer um we saw it once and like I didn't know what I was doing and I was like I need to go back there and do it do it proper so I did it proper we got to see some like serious serious northern lights and that was like that that I was going crazy for um Patagonia was awesome though um definitely Definitely really beautiful and picturesque. It reminds me a decent amount of like the Eastern Sierra. So like kind of in the back, backside, the back country a little bit. So you recommend going to Norway first before Patagonia for anybody who wants to travel out of the country? That's tough. It depends what you're looking for. It's tough. Well, if you want to hike, I mean, Norway has hikes too. I mean. Fantastic hiking locations, but I guess it depends on what you what you want out of your out of your trip. I would say like Argentina is definitely the budget option, and uh, there's more to it than just going to Patagonia. And I plan on doing Argent uh, Antarctica anyway, so I'll be back in Argentina at some point to because that's the landing point you leave from Ushuaia. So I'll be back there again. So, um, but the whole Ushuaia area is supposed to be. Really, really beautiful. Bariloche and Mendoza. If you do Aconcagua, some like really, really incredible hikes there. I'll definitely one of the few countries that I hundred percent see myself going back to in the future. So highly recommend that. And obviously Norway is one of the few countries that I've already been to twice. So you can get a good experience both ways. It just depends on what you're looking for. That's awesome, Jake. I'm glad that you had a blast at Argentina. I can't wait to see the rest of your photos there, man. Um what is some advice for first-time travelers? You travel alone. What can you tell someone who's listening who yeah. maybe might make an excuse, I'm not going to travel because so-and-so won't go with me, so I'm just going to stay home. What's your advice for people to get out and just go, man? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a tough topic because for me, it definitely is not easy. And I know you could see me being out there and like just sending these trips all the time. And um, yeah, I guess now it, it's a little bit easier for me. But at the end of the day, like I would always probably rather travel with people than travel solo. Um, makes the experience better. I would still do the same style of traveling either way. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I definitely can understand where it comes from. I, I've had my fair share of like panic attacks and breakdowns and it's, it's a tough time to be, you know, in a foreign country where you don't speak the language completely alone. No, no idea what's going to happen to you pretty much not too in-depth planned. Um, yeah, I think the biggest thing for me though, especially solo traveling is, is finding hostels that are good. If you can find a hostel, and I, I know that you might not be into the party scene or whatever, but finding the party hostels is the way to go because that's where the most people will be. And so I always try to read reviews, especially if I'm traveling solo on Hostel World. And I find like, is this place really social? That's the biggest thing for me because when you're traveling solo, like you'll just meet people through your hostel and end up doing stuff with them. I found that people are really open to them, to to other people. Like I met someone in Argentina that I spent like pretty much five days with. Um, we became really good friends through that period. Um, but it's definitely scary and it's not that easy. I think you just have to convince yourself that whatever you're doing is better than not doing it at all. Like is the fear of like going worse than the fear of not going at all? And for me, it's it's always just go just do it and like if you have breakdowns during it like the worst thing that can happen you book a flight home it's so i think like always having you know a little bit of extra cash to you know bail you out of a bad situation definitely makes it a little bit more manageable so having you know a security blanket of like if everything goes wrong like i just take a flight out of here and i'm back in my home country within a day or two depending on where you are so that's one thing that i always keep in mind um but otherwise, like, there, it's it's hard to it's hard to give suggestions other than like, just know you won't be alone, and you'll definitely need to push yourself out of your comfort zone to make connections and to make the experience not so lonely. I love what you said. There is that fear more important, or I don't know how you how you phrase it, but basically, what's more important: seeing these places or being afraid and staying home. And I know from experience that I didn't grow up traveling. I mean, dude, I didn't start traveling until I was 20, 20 years old. Okay. And yeah. one of my first solo trip 20, when I was 21, I was terrified. I didn't want to go, man. And, but I knew if I didn't go that, when was I going to go? I mean, obviously you have your whole life to go, but you don't at the same time. Right. And, yeah, I was exactly. like, dude, I have, I have, I have this free week. I'm off. You need to, you need to go. And when I went, I actually talked to more people when I was by myself than when I was usually oh, yeah. travel with other people. Yep. Dude, I was, I felt like when I was hiking, oh, yeah. I was talking to people every left and right. I was taking a break. Someone sat down next Absolutely. to me. Hey, how's it going? Where are you from? Oh, I'm a van lifer and I'm a teacher, online teacher blah, 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 doing all this yep. stuff, right? 
And you've yep. experienced that probably more times than you can count, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. It, like, dude, that, like, that's, that's what it's about. It's just like these, these little interactions that keep you going, these small people that you meet that you know, make your day better. I was, I was in Mount Rainier National Park alone, and I was doing a hike up to the Muir Base Camp, and I didn't even know I was going to do that that day. I just asked the park ranger, I'm like, I need a crazy hike. What do you got for me? And he's like, ah, go to the Muir Base Camp. You can't <laughs> climb to the top because it's way too technical. And I'm like, what, what is that? Um, I had no idea anything. And he's just like, yeah, just do it. And I'm like, okay. So I sent it and I was like snowy and I met this guy like going up there and he was so nice. We hiked up together. Um, it's just like little things like that that make your experience better. Um, but you have to be like willing to push yourself out of your comfort zone. You have to be willing to make the first move. You have to be confident enough to just say like i do not care like i'm here i need to ha- i need to have connections like can't just be you know you alone it it's 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 interesting because it's something that i'm trying to take with me into like everyday life when i'm not traveling because when i'm not traveling i find it so hard to meet people and so that was like my big thing for this year is like i'm coming back from argentina i just did so well on meeting people like why can't i just do the same thing like in my everyday life so i started just pretending i'm like solo traveling and I started talking to people coffee shops I go to and the gym I go to and I've already made like five or six connections in a week um just from like keeping that mindset with you which is probably the biggest takeaway that I've ever had from from traveling is just learning to say who cares the more you connect to people the more you realize the power of connecting with people uh, especially after yeah. a year like 2020 we were talking to as many people I was isolated at least just, I was like doing things outdoors by myself and I didn't realize that like I was missing out on that connection with people until like this year, last year. And I was like, Whoa, like connecting all the people they are your friends now, or just someone who might be a future client, a business partner. Um, Simply. I mean, this podcast, for example, I mean, I'm doing it because I want other people's perspectives and I want to learn about the way they see the yeah. world because I know I see the world in one way and you see the world differently than me. We've had talks about this and you've helped me see things differently. I've helped you, I've showed you the way I see things, like how I showed you my home. And I think that power yeah, of connecting definitely. with others is huge and stepping right. out of your comfort zone. I mean, what advice can you do? I mean, what kind of advice can you give for stepping out of your comfort zone? Oof, man, that's tough. That's tough. I don't, I don't, I like, I don't know what it is for me that I'm able to do it. I was thinking about it in, in Argentina. I was like, just get to the hostel. I didn't really know what to do. And I was just like, all right, either I'm going to like, just play through. Like for me, it's just, I play through the scenarios in my head. All right. I'm in Argentina completely alone. I don't know anyone. I'm at this hostel. There's some people hanging around. Like maybe I can go talk to them. So the options are like talk to these people, potentially make connections and find more interesting things to do, learn about the place and see what they've done. And like the worst case scenario, I can just ask them what their experiences is. Do they have any recommendations? The other side of things is you don't go, you don't act, you do nothing and you spend the time alone and you try to figure it out on your own. It's like, what would I rather be? Would I rather like shoot my shot at these people and just like say, hey, like go up, walk up, introduce myself. Or would I just want to be alone for another 10 days? So I like balance, try to balance it out in my head. And I'm just like, 
what makes more sense to me and like what would I regret more? And so, sometimes like it's not worth it to go talk to the people. Sometimes like you have things in mind you want to do, you have things you want to get to, but most of the time I'm telling you, you you will know and you've had the same experience. You know that like if you're traveling alone, you're, you're going to want to talk to people. You're going to want to learn. Like you don't, no one wants to be alone all the time. Like loneliness sucks. <laughs> You're absolutely <laughs> I guess it doesn't right, help. Man. It doesn't really no. give you any advice, but no. But I mean, I just I see you as this independent person, and my upbringing was not that way, right? I've always been dependent on people, and I always felt like I needed them to go with me to go to all these places, need them to do this with me, need them to do this with me, and seeing those times where you I mean, travel I did alone too, for a while, yeah. Right, right. And seeing you travel alone really inspired me to go out and do this on my own. If those are the circumstances, right? I mean, it's yeah, better traveling yeah, with no, people. I'm so glad to hear that, man. It's better That's traveling awesome. with it's better traveling with people, but seeing you go out there, I'm sure is an inspiration not just for me, but for probably a lot of other people. So Keep on doing it, man. I think I hope that so. I hope so. with this blog that you're writing, you should touch on some aspects of you doing solo travel because I know yeah. there's a lot of people probably that are like me who didn't grow up with this. You should definitely touch on that in your blog right. that you're starting. Right. And that brings me to my next question. Jake, Jake Foxy's blog. What's it going to be about, man? Yeah, first I want to respond a little bit. I mean, dude, I appreciate that, like, you've gotten any inspiration from me. Like, that's like, I mean, I, I have no words for that. That's just, that's awesome. I mean, the fact that, you know, me going out and doing my thing and then just sharing my experiences can have such an impact on other people. Like, that's that's what it's all about. It's just, you know, helping everyone grow together. And, like, I've obviously learned a lot from you. And you showed me your, the entire hometown of the Sierra Nevadas. And I've learned so much more about those mountains and literally get to know it like my backyard just because like that's your backyard like you just sharing like what you love with me has just been i mean awesome i know we have so many more adventures to do this year though so we'll definitely check those off but yeah the blog the blog is going to be an interesting an interesting one. i don't i have some ideas that i definitely want to talk about and have some you know, things that I want to focus on. Definitely solo travel is going to be a huge, huge topic um, on my blog because it's something that I find that not too many people talk about, not too many people have experience with. And um, I definitely want to give people a perspective of what it's like to just send it on a solo trip. And um, I think that I will definitely be doing, you know, posts related to, you know, what I learned as a solo traveler um, how to force yourself into situations, uh, little ideas about like how to find the right hostel for you, how to find experiences, how to meet people, how to push yourself out of your comfort zone and stuff. So those are all like kind of topics that I want to talk about in the blog. But at the same time, I also want to, you know, share travel experiences and like share about the places that I go. Cause for me, it's all about learning. Um, like I mentioned before, and I feel like I've learned so much, not only just from like me as a person, but like about these places, about these cultures. And that's something that I really want to make the focus of this blog is kind of 
what you can learn as a solo traveler and what you can learn about some place by going there. And obviously there will be some photography tips and tricks. Oh yeah. And Let's go. Just the fun stuff. So. so for the people who are listening to this, where can they find your blog at? What's the URL? Ah, yeah, it's not it's not live live yet. Um it's it's still I finished the website around it, but I've yet to polish off any good posts. I had like posts from like a year ago I tried to do this, but I didn't really have like a focus on my blog. So it took the past year, like thought about it, like which direction do I want to go? So I'm relaunching the blog. Um Right now, I have like a sign-up sheet for my newsletter on my Instagram bio. It's probably the easiest place to take it from. Um, you can just sign up there, and then I'm going to send out a newsletter once it's once it's up and going. Hopefully, the first blog post is out within like a week or two because I have now officially finished my uh, my website redesign. So, launch amazing, the Jake, with the first blog post. So, for those of you who are listening, go sign up for this. He's going to give you some really good information as you've already heard right here he has a lot of experience so if you're into traveling into photography want to see some stuff out of the country highly recommend you to go sign up for his newsletter and his blog and that brings me to my next question you've we met on instagram what are your thoughts on instagram not prioritizing photos is that a big deal not that big of a deal what do you think about it depends how you want to look at it um i think a lot of photographers and people tend to put too much emphasis on social media and that's kind of another thing that i'm trying to you know figure out with the blog is like like instagram is not the only place you can share your work (laughs) tiktok is not the only place to share your work youtube is not the only place to share your work in reality in my ideal world i want everyone on my website no matter what like even even if I'm using Instagram and I have three hundred thousand followers, I want them to click on my website. Like I don't care if they see my Instagram post. Like <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. I want them to go to my website and read my blog and learn about, you know, what experiences, you know, that they want to learn about and, um, ask me questions about it. We can you know feed off of each other, share travel tips and stuff like that. I want to build that like community behind it, and I want people on my website. Maybe they work with me. Maybe they want some work done or something like that. So that makes Instagram like kind of secondary to me. It makes all social media secondary. You want to transcend social media. Obviously, it's important to like, you know, use for marketing. But ideally, you want to break away from that, in my opinion. So like Instagram, not doing photos, whatever. I mean, I don't care. I'm still posting photos. I don't care. Amazing, Jake. Keep posting photos because I'm going to keep posting photos. So two things. I'm even posting them landscape style. I'm not even posting the four by fives anymore. Go look at my last two two photo posts. They're sideways. Horizontal posts, man. Hell yeah. Bring it back, man. The freedom. (laughs) Replying to two things that you said. (laughs) This fact that they're putting so much emphasis on social media that it's important. All that stuff. I'm in marketing. I was at an agency for a while, right? And what a lot of people don't understand is that these social media platforms, they're just supposed to be funnels to your meat, to your real content. 
to your podcast, yeah. to your YouTube, to your website, yep. to your store. Right. These are just supposed to be eye-catching, little quick things to send to what you're actually doing. If all you're doing is social media, yeah, we're not building anything lasting. Right here, me and you, we're in the exactly. game to build stuff for exactly. the long term, the long game. And mm -hmm. you've yeah. built a community on Instagram, though. And maybe you don't have 100K followers, but dude, you've built a real community, community on there. And let me say, first of all, just... You I mean, do amazing there because I, yeah, no, but you connect with people and it's clear that you want to do that. And I just want you to give some advice to people who are listening, maybe that they're struggling with putting that value on Instagram. How are you, how do you build that community on Instagram? Yeah. With not that many followers, right? People think it's impossible to build a community with small, small amount of followers. How'd you do it? Yeah, I also I also want to put out that like that like um in terms of like numbers of followers like are you really going to have 6,000 clients? Are you really going to have 100,000 clients? No. Like it does not matter. If if Bro. you want to like turn it into a business, is 100,000 people going to buy all of your stuff? No. Like get over it. The number doesn't matter. Um secondly, I try to find like-minded people. I try to message them and just talk to people. And, you know, there's there's so much we can learn from one each other in the creative community. But, you know, I have tons of people that reach out to me about travel advice and like, oh, I'm going this place. I saw you were there. Like, what's some tips? Um, I, I literally, I cannot even tell you the amount of times that I have like pseudo acted as someone's like travel agent. Like, planning itineraries for people and I think that that's really big even even like friends from high school that like I hadn't talked to in like 10 years They're like oh like I'm going here do you have like any suggestions I'm like yeah yeah of course so it's just about like answering dms messaging people and like talking to people like being a part of something that's not just about the numbers um yeah but people like I, I turned off like, yeah, like counts yeah, I turned off like counts. I turned off all that stuff. Like, I don't want people to to see like my page as a number. I don't want people to see any page as a number. So I think like those are things like just reaching out to people, messaging people. If someone wants somewhere interesting and you're going there, hey, like I saw you just went to you know uh, here. I'm going there next month. Like, what do you have information for me? They they will gladly answer you. And I think part of at least. From what I've observed, your captions are kind of a source of knowledge that every time you post, I'm learning something, other people are learning things. So like you said, just being there to help and give information. Yeah, yeah, and, definitely. I would like to, I would like more people to read the captions. I know that they're probably way too long for most people to read, but like, again, I do not care. I... I always read them, man, just so you know. I, uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> I know that there's the people that do, and that's all that matters to me, man. Right. Anyways, you submitted Mount Kilimanjaro, tallest mountain in Africa, oh, right? Africa <laughs> is insane. How cold was it at the top? Right. And I, don't get me wrong. Or Negative me 20 Celsius? Correct. Negative 20 Celsius. So what is that? 
Fahrenheit. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Celsius must be like five, five degrees. Uh, All right. Yeah, around five degrees. <laughs> five degrees. You had a summit early, right? Why did you have to summit the mountain in the dark? Yeah, so I might have told you this story before, but um, so the mountain is like built on a glacier at the top, obviously at 20,000 feet approximately. And so when you're up that high and things are melting from the snow, especially in summer, the like the pavement that you climb up for the last segment gets really, really loose, gravelly, which is awesome on the way down because you just like press your foot down and slide like 20 feet. Um, but on the way up, it's really hard to climb up that. And so you leave for the summit at midnight to try to hike most of the way up on solid ground. And so you get to like the base camp, at least the way we did it, we got to base camp at like 4 p.m. And we woke up at 11 and then we were hiking by 12 and it was snowing, windy and icy. It was nuts nuts but yeah that's why we go up at at night because you want to get the get that loose gravel to be firm by the like held up by the ice because it gets hot in the summer there so the or even the winter there too so the snow like melts a little bit i will listen to stories about mount kilimanjaro in africa any day i remember you (laughs) telling me a story about the different climates as you're going up the mountain and it was cool when you posted the photos because each photo slide was a different climate. How many climates yeah. exactly are there yeah. in uh, Mount Kilimanjaro? I think there's five climate zones, if I remember correctly. Um, and you go through every single one of them on the way up, so it's, it's awesome. And you took pictures of monkeys. I don't know if that was as you were doing... As you were yeah, doing there's the, monkeys on the trails. There's ravens on the trails. The thing is that the monkeys like mainly are like really pretty low in elevation. I would say you you pretty much lose any contact with life <laughs> pretty quickly on the trip. <laughs> and it's it's noticeable too cuz when you go up to like the alpine desert and stuff like there's no vegetation. There's like a few like indigenous plants that like only exist there. They're endemic and they're really interesting looking, but you get up to a certain point there's there's just no life. And then there's barely any oxygen too. And you'll notice when you go back down to like a normal altitude, you start to breathe again. You're like, oh my God, air, oxygen. And so there's like a huge correlation between like alpine hiking and like animals you see. So I would say don't really focus on the animals when you're on Kilimanjaro. Do that in the safari. You did go to the safari, right? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Well, how was that, man? You you went on the safari. What was that like? You saw a bunch of animals. I think one of your favorite photos that you took was the lion. Oh, yeah, the lions were going crazy. Yeah, that that whole experience in the Serengeti was awesome. We were like, we did it in an interesting way. We were were, uh, camping kind of in the middle of the Serengeti. And, dude, first of all, throughout the night, all you hear is just like hyenas howling. There was a buffalo that came into our tent, and I just like, I woke up and I looked at Ryan and I was like, dude, like there's a Buffalo outside. We're going to die. Um, <laughs> they don't bother you. <laughs> Those things are scary, man. They're, they're big. And the hippos too are nocturnal. So definitely don't want to, I, I was a little bit scared to leave the tent during the night, but um, so that was a really, really interesting part of it. The other side is like 
I don't think people realize like how spread out it is. Like it's the, at least the Serengeti is absolutely massive. There's so 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 much, and so you're driving around like miles and miles a day. But like through the whole time, if you looked like left, right, like animals, usually like gazelle. I would say like gazelle are just everywhere, and antelope are everywhere. And the big game is like harder to find. You have to, they have like these radio intercom systems. So like the cars in front of you are driving on a similar route and then they'll call up your car. They'll be like, hey, we just saw a lion over here. We're going to go there. And then you get there and there's a line of 15 cars just like staring at this lion, which is interesting. One of the, the best time is like, there was this lion that just killed a gazelle and he was eating it. It was a male lion, which is rare to see them hunt, first of all. And then you see the family coming to try to eat. So it was like a whole dynamic between like the father gets to eat first this is his kill and then like the kids were like no we want some and then the father just be like no get out of here um so that was pretty fun and we were like the first truck in line so me and ryan were just having a field day with the photos just like sniping the bloody lion face like that was where that that one my favorite shot came from it was awesome it's such a cool experience like i love wildlife and it's it's they, they get so up close and personal, especially the elephants and the giraffes and the zebras. Like, they're right there. I think photographers, at least landscape photographers, if they've never done wildlife photography, I think it's super exciting when they do it because they're like, whoa, action. Like, things are moving. Like, I think that every photographer should try a wildlife at least once and especially where you went there's wildlife oh, everywhere that was like wildlife gold there's right no better place <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you could spend weeks weeks there just shooting and shooting and shooting i mean i do wildlife photography too that's what i actually originally was more interested in uh it's just way harder to find um and way harder it is to do because you need to be like sitting out there looking for the animals you have to know where to be you have to be like where no humans are off the trails like blending in sitting there waiting for like hours at a time if you like actually want to like see something like if you're not like in a safari situation it's really hard to find them safari makes it well, easy they bring you to the yeah. animals well dude riley spent six months with the black bears yeah six months yeah i talked to so, him a lot about that actually recently it's so cool he definitely had some time just to sit there in the forest and document the bears i mean when you're doing wildlife it's time consuming but his documentary obviously was uh worthwhile and it paid off yeah no that was awesome i absolutely love that absolutely love that oh it's so cool so that's the type of work i want to be doing stuff that has like meaning like that exactly no that is that's that's the goal for me too as i advance in this creative space Oh, yeah. what is your advice for a beginner photographer first time picking up the camera? Um, I mean, probably the same advice that most people get. Just like shoot as much as you can, but I guess, and shoot on manual mode. Honestly, though, like if you really want to learn, like shoot on aperture priority mode and or shutter priority mode because like iso like yeah you want to keep it low but 
it's fundamentally not going to change how you photograph, but shooting on aperture priority mode helps you understand what this like one very like it's like isolating a variable in science, which I mean, I'm an engineer, so I focus at science, obviously. It's like isolating that aperture priority and then you're only seeing what the effect of like one button does. And you move on to shutter priority. You're only seeing the effect that like one button does. So like the ISO is like, yeah, whatever. It's just noise. Uh, the other two, like learn about them. That's my suggestion. That's like a great for a while man. when I first got started, I only I only shot an aperture. And everyone's like, oh, shoot in like manual. I'm like, no, you it's too much to handle. Like focus on one at a time. Learn how they work. Then you can add it all together. I think I started an aperture priority too, just because it was the easiest. And you know, that's a good yeah. perspective on focusing on one because I know getting all technical at certain apertures for certain lenses, there there's a most sharp aperture point, right? Like yeah, five point six yeah. might be the sharpest for a certain lens, seven point two, whatever it is, might be the sharpest point for that lens. So for those of you who are listening, focus on learning aperture first, focus on learning shutter speed first, focus on one before you move on to the next, get the fundamentals fundamentals down. Right. And right. that brings me to my next question. Does gear matter? And me and you, we had the same camera pretty much at the same time. We upgraded to full frame cameras at the same time. So it's kind of cool. Both of us kind of sharing the experience of what was better. Mm-hmm. What was not that much better? So what do you think, man? Does gear matter? At the end of the day, like, it depends where you are in your journey. I think the further along you get, gear matters more. I think in the beginning, I mean, I also think that like a really good photographer can take a shot on any camera, which is like a different story. But the amount of detail and the amount of information in that shot not be as much unless you get a better camera and wider angle lenses give you wider angle and like better faster like better glass gives you sharper images throughout and gives you a little bit more flexibility to do what you want but um it won't make a difference until you really understand it but if you really understand it then you can make anything work so does it matter yeah but it also doesn't I think you bad answer. What do you think? <laughs> no, bro, you're absolutely right. I think you and I did it the right way. We waited and waited to buy a new professional camera until we were ready. And at least for me, I took it really slow. I could have bought a professional camera, but I was like, dude, I don't even know if it's worth buying it yet because I feel like I haven't even learned my A6300 all the way yet. And it got to right. a point in my journey where the camera I had, the A63, was holding me back. And it wasn't getting me the results that I needed or wanted, whether it's shooting for mm-hmm. clients or just landscape images. I was like, okay, it's time to upgrade. Yeah. But I had the A6300. I shot on it from 18 years old to 22. So I shot on it for five years before I even upped to the A74. Maybe I could have went quicker, but... I think I waited just enough time to upgrade. I don't know right. about you. You had the A6, A6, A6,000, right? I had the A6,000. A6, yeah, excuse A6,400. 
which is crazy because I was shooting with that. I took that to Africa. I took that to Peru. I took that to Iceland. I mean, I've shot so many shots with it. Like in hindsight, would I have rather had my full frame camera now? Yeah, but um, the, I think the biggest the biggest reason that I want the full frame is because these days, especially, I really like shooting wide angle and. With the crop factor in an APS-C, it's just so much harder to get everything in your scene if you're a landscape photographer. For wildlife, it's actually, I prefer to have the APS-C. And I actually, for most wildlife shoots, I crop in my full-frame camera to get the APS-C mode because I need that extra reach. And I am too cheap to buy an entirely new, like, $6,000, 600-millimeter prime lens for it. So, um I guess it depends what type you shoot, what to go for, but like just understanding like wide angle, short angle, like different things like that. And that, that was, that was the breaking point for me was I want a wide angle lens. I'm not going to buy like a a 10 millimeter on an A6400. Like I'm going to get a full frame camera and just use like a 14 millimeter, you know, whatever. So that was, that was it for me. That was my determining factor was I want to go wide. That's me too. I know I was with you and I didn't have a wide angle lens yet. And you were like, I was like, I can't, I can't capture the whole image. And I was watching you with your wide angle lens at Sequoia and we were backpacking. I was like, man, those 10 millimeter difference makes a big deal when you're in yeah. some tight situations. And now that I'm getting more into it, I'm like, I'm not wide enough. Like I want, I'm probably yeah. going to buy an even why I, I, my lowest is right now is 17. I need to go down to like, I'd say like, even the difference between like a 14 and 17, that's not, not crazy, but like I want the 14. So they have a 14 millimeter Sony prime lens, I think. But the thing about yeah, it is I'll probably you can't get 10, 10 to 20. There's a 10. They have like a, a 12 to 20 or like a 10 to 20 or something like that. I'll oh, get something like that probably for my next lens. That is wide. <laughs> so yeah. I I have a favorite photo of mine when I think of photos I've taken in the past and it's not always because it was it's not it's not the best photo I've taken but it's my favorite do you have Mm -hmm. a favorite photo that you've taken what makes it your favorite yeah before I answer that what makes it your favorite okay like how come and which one is it what I know it it holds weight behind it just because of the memory. So mm-hmm. it's the photo of me standing on the sea stack arch over on the central coast. Okay. Yeah. It yeah, was a little hole in the middle of that one. Yeah. With the sunburst. Yep. Yep. Amazing shot, right? Like, yeah, it's great. Crazy. That's still my favorite photo I've taken. Not the best, but my favorite photo because. You know, it's a good journey- shot when you just say it and I just know immediately what you're talking about. <laughs> the journey to get down to that arch is hard by itself not nobody knew about that arch a select few people right so you have to use a rope to go down a sea cliff sea cliffs are unstable right it's not like you're going yeah when we go and take me on this oh my god well well listen listen after i took that photo i was hanging out there with a weird guy he was a he was naked so that was interesting i was taking photos with some weird guy next to me shouting at me but after i got the epic photo I think a week or two weeks later, there was a crazy storm uh, in California. Knocked down the arch, man. No. Knocked it down. Whole thing was broken. So I was the last person who was to take photos of it 
right? And that makes that photo that much more special because you can't take photos of it anymore. And that also kind of gets you that kind of perspective that like these places that you're photographing, they might not always be here. Right. Right. And so bringing this to you, giving you some explanation of what makes, makes it your favorite photo. What do you got? I mean, your story is way cooler than anything. I (laughs) I actually, I don't know. Favorite, like, I don't, I don't, I actually, I actually don't think, I mean, my favorite photo of like travel experience, like is not a professional quality photo. It's like complete trash, but it was probably the funniest travel moment I ever had happen. And I caught it on camera. And so that's probably why it's my favorite. This, like we were in Morocco and um, we were at the markets in Marrakesh, me and my family, and we were eating dinner in the markets. Like they just had like this table that happened to be open for this like pita restaurant. So we got, it's like street food and we're eating and we're like asking the waitress to take a picture of us. So we hand her the camera and she like leans back and she's like holding the camera here. And we all like turn our heads to go look at her. And then she says, one, two, three, she snaps the photo. She hands it back to us. And we look at it. And there's a lady stealing our food, like a gypsy lady <laughs> stealing our food in the photo. And the waitress had to clearly see it and just didn't say anything. So the whole time, she's just like sitting here taking a picture. And we're looking the other way. And there's just like hand reaching inside the, and I'm like, what? It's and like, that's my favorite travel photo. It has absolutely nothing to do like it's not professional. If you saw it, it looks terrible. Like it's on pretty bad quality. It's actually on the about me section of my new website, um, which is a fun little anecdote. And I I think I've shared this that story on my Instagram story a few times. But that is that is my favorite travel photo, and it's not that, even a photo I took. That is, that's great, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna have you send me that photo so I can put it up and show everyone. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, definitely. So going into 2023, you've already been to Argentina. You just got back. Do you have any other travel plans to get, go out of the country this year, man? Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to figure that out right now. Um, Japan and New Zealand are two places that I really want to do, but I just don't know if I have the time to do them the way I want to right now. So I'm kind of going to wait on that and figure out what my timing looks like and see how much free time I have. But yeah, I was thinking about that in general. I don't, this is the first year that like, like last year was like, what do I still really, really want to do? And it was like Patagonia and Northern Lights. So those were like, to the high, like Thailand, whatever. I mean, I went on a lot of trips, but um, I don't actually have anything planned right now, which is crazy. I normally have something planned every single, every single trip, like is planned and in my head, placed in my head months before. But right now, I feel like I've done so much of what I wanted to do that I'm coming to the point where I have to start rethinking about like what is like the next priority. Like obviously I have stuff that like it's gonna happen. 
Like I'm going to go to Australia, go diving at the reef. I'm going to go to New Zealand. I'm going to go to um, Japan and the rest of Asia. I'm going to do Egypt at some point. And then all of Europe. But I'm planning to move to Europe at some point. So I'm saving Europe for like way later because I'm just going to like move there and travel throughout the entire thing for like two or three years and then come back to the States. So that'll be its own like trip. So this year, I don't know. Yet to figure it out. Probably we'll end up maybe doing Japan if I have enough time. Um, I don't know. Tough. Well, sounds like it's going to be a great year. I know. In between all those international Yeah, what about you? You're going to be with me in the Sierra, first of all. Absolutely. We'll do some Absolutely. mountain, some mountain, some epic mountain adventures. But in terms yeah, of traveling. Yeah, we need to do Big Pine man, Lake. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it, man. In terms of traveling, I know I want to go back and do Utah to take photos over there. And as a more yep. advanced photographer and creative, then hopefully mm-hmm. go up to Washington and explore those national parks. Oh, Olympic. Enough. Mount Rainier, North Cascades, all those national parks. My favorite Washington is just—it's just a different level there. No, I mean I've been in there from only when I was in Oregon. I did the border, but not like on purpose. You did like Willamette Valley in Oregon. Yeah, I did all of Oregon, the whole state of Oregon. Then I was Mm -hmm. in Portland. We were going over to the coast. We drove into Washington because that's where the GPS took us in. Not much more than that, but similar vibes. I'll, yeah, similar vibes. But just seeing photos from Washington just makes me realize, like, wow, there's some beauty out there. Oh, dude, yeah, Olympic National Park is my favorite national park, actually. Actually, <sighs> so amazing. I just so, love like the forest. Yeah, man. I feel like I'm in a fairy tale when I'm over there. It's crazy. I'm sure you had the you same know, experience. Yeah. Like the Willamette Valley is like very similar. Yeah, no, exactly true, man. So you want to go travel in Europe for a couple of years. And this makes this makes me think of, do you want to be a full-time photographer? Is that on the table? Do you want to stay remote work like you're doing right now and just move over there? Like, do you want yeah. to do photography full-time? I'm trying to figure that out still. Um, I definitely really enjoy photography and traveling and I I want to in one way or another do that full-time like be a nomad of sorts at least for a good amount of time um but it's hard to pass up the stability that an engineering job can give you so if I can find a way to do software engineering where they don't care where I am that would be ideal because then I can, you know, c- continue to build an income stream from, you know, what I enjoy doing and not really have to worry about money at all, which is the ideal situation and why I worked so hard in my in my education to get to a point where I could be more financially free to pursue travel as often as I can. And so right, right now that right. doesn't mean I have as much free time just building like a savings to use towards travel right now and then get back into like full, full time, hopefully soon. For those of you who don't know, Jake got his master's and bachelor's at 22 at the same time. 
this guy yeah. is a whiz. He's an engineer. <laughs> I don't know about that. But he yeah. was telling me all the technical specs about sound. And he was like, you're not going to understand. It. I was like, I want to know anyways. This guy knows how to make Siri. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I studied machine learning for my master's degree. So it's a good skill to have, let me tell you. It's a pretty, pretty decent jobs to have software. I mean, I do software engineering, um, which is just a good a good field. Not outside the U.S., unfortunately. Like I was looking at um, trying to move to Europe within the next year. I'm in the process of actually getting my EU citizenship, which would let me work in Europe, like do like a remote job there and, you know, get paid to like travel Europe because it's easier to be on European time zone and just like weekend warrior through like all of Europe, literally all of Europe. And so that that's one thing that I'm waiting for. And then if I get that this year, they pay like way less though. Like if you're a software engineer and you're listening to this, like stay in the States. It's way more money unless you want to travel. <laughs> I'm willing to take the pay cut, but. That's awesome, man. The perspective though of choosing stability and being able to travel still. Cause I tell people that you don't have to go do these creative things full time. You can get a remote job and just travel on the weekends and still have the comfort of uh, having that job. You don't have to quit yeah. your job like everyone's saying to do. <laughs> I actually, it's interesting because I've seen people who have like quit their job to go like do their thing and like be a creative and like they want to travel. And I'm like, I'm traveling still like five times more than you. And I have a full-time engineering job. Like, I mean, I my job is remote right now pretty much. So I'm pretty flexible. I can't really leave the States, but I mean, I've remote worked back home in New York. I've been working for like six months at this company. I've remote worked from New York. I've been to Seattle, went to Vancouver this year, um, Utah. I've like remote worked across all of California, which I'd never really been to to explore. And then I also went to Norway and I went to uh, Argentina all within like while I've been working. And these people who have like, like gone out of their jobs to like pursue creative things, which is awesome. Like I'm not saying don't do it. But you're not making enough of an income stream to go travel alone unless you can, like, have enough savings to go do that. And so you're fully reliant on, like, clients. So, one, you can only travel when they want you to, which means you're traveling way less. So that's where I get to, like, be like, yeah, you've traveled, like, two places. And the places that you went to, I talked to some people, and they're like, yeah, I was there for eight days because, like, the client only really wanted us, like, to do this certain experience, and we didn't have enough budget to, like, extend it and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, it's a give and take. In one hand, you're doing something you absolutely love every single day, which I really, really envy. But at the same time, you don't have the career stability to really be able to explore on your own time. And I think that there's a big difference. And that's that's what I realized when I was like, that story I told you about Machu Picchu, that's, that's something that I value is like traveling for the learning and for me and not for the brand and not for who I'm working with. Um, maybe that'll change in the future. Um, I definitely would, if I was able to make the same amount that I am now through travel photography, no question. Or if Nat Geo hired me or like something that like I actually care about, like a meaningful thing was like, or like there was a project in like some conservation field and they're like, we want 
you to like, for, like I would drop everything to do something like meaningful like that. If Nacho was like, we're covering this like historic event that's going on at this glacier in Antarctica, like I'm there dead. We'll pay you like $2,000 to be there. I'm like, okay, fine. As long as you cover my food, I'll quit my job. I do not care. But if you're just traveling for you, I don't know. That's when it that's becomes like cr- tough. Yeah. So that brings me to another question or another perspective after you seeing that jogged my memory. You get to a certain level as a creative video, photos, you've mastered your skills and you start to get bored because then you realize that all that doesn't matter unless you're doing something that like means something now. So at least for me, I've gone to a point where I've mm-hmm. mastered all the basic stuff that I want to tell stories. I want to make these photos mean more. I want them to make more of an impact. And maybe some people want to do that from the beginning. I did too, but like now I'm really leaning heavy yeah. on that. I want mm-hmm. these things to impact people, influence them, change them, change their minds about things. And so you working for Nat Geo saying that you only want to do photography if it's meaningful, that really hits home. I mean, a lot of people should listen to that. Like, it's perfectly okay to take photos just for fun because you like it. But if you do this like us all the time, you get to a point where things get boring and you want things to actually mean something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely, definitely agree on that. I think my my perspective is pretty skewed, though, just because like i mean the privileges i've had in my life to be able to do all the things that i have at such a young age it definitely being able to do as much as i have on my own like ambitions is definitely something that allows me to be a little bit more selective because i've already done like a lot of things i mean obviously there's more to do and like i will be forever like searching for new new experiences and new travel things. But um, I can understand for someone who hasn't had that experience and who hasn't seen the world in the way that I have been. um, And obviously I haven't, I'm still not even like the craziest guy out there when it comes to like travel. Like I'm, I'm pretty good, but there's people who have been way, way, way more places than me. Um, So if, if you haven't been to as many places, you haven't been opened up, as much I feel like it does change your perspective a little bit as well because what I want might be vastly different than someone who hasn't left the country or hasn't seen you know as much so I feel like take what I'm saying with a grain of salt as someone who has so much travel experience it might not be the best advice for you you know traveling definitely expands your mind even for me just going out of the state to Wyoming that expanded my mind made me realize that my small town isn't the center of the universe and putting you for example at a larger scale you've been out of the country thousands of miles away from home if you're listening if you never traveled at least travel two hours to your local mountains And if you don't got mountains travel to the river far away from you Go somewhere, make it a priority to go, because I promise you it's going to change your perspective on a lot of things and make you realize that everything where you're at is not the most important thing going on. 
in. Not yeah. to say that you're thing. Yeah. Not to say that you're not important, but there's a lot more going on in the world that you don't even know about, and it really helps you understand things that are going on in your own life as well. Mm-hmm. Dude, that was literally the perfect sentence right there. Like you don't really know what else is going on in the world. That's literally like the biggest takeaway that I have on traveling is, and then you start to notice it in your everyday life too, by the way. So like you're stuck in your own little bubble in your everyday work, in your everyday life. And like, I don't think people realize, and this is another thing with like your comfort zone and whatever, like there's so much out there, even in your hometown, even in, wherever you, like if you live in a, especially if you live in a big city, like I've only lived in big cities, New York and LA, like what do I know? I've only lived in places where there's so many people and so much diversity. Like if you have a niche, if you're into like a little specific thing, like I've met people who do the craziest stuff, like the little nichest things that I'm like, I didn't even know that existed. And like traveling, you take that to a whole different planet because then it's like, oh my God, yeah, there's so many different subcultures within like my community, oh my God, like you go somewhere else, you're like, the globe is massive. There's so many people. There's so many minor communities. There's so many little things that like affect everyone else's day. And then you feel like absolutely tiny about yourself. And you're like, what? It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Like I'm just (laughs) this little, little person. It does not matter at all. And it's like that perspective just completely, completely changes your life. Completely changes your life. Because you're sitting here like thinking about your own little problems and like, dude, they're just your problems. Like they're just your problems. There's so much out there. But like also at the same time, if you're interested in this like little thing, like let's say you're interested in like, I don't know, something random, like you love collecting like, I don't know, fancy pens or something like that. There's a community for you. Like there's somewhere online in, in, in different parts of the world, like in your city that like you can go find like, People who are interested in the same thing as you. It's crazy. It's crazy. I 100% agree. I grew up in a town where the mountains are close by, but, and everyone that we go to high school with is you pretty much know your whole entire life from right. kindergarten all the way up, right? So for me, leaving high school, go getting into this space of traveling, going to the mountains, stuff like that. Not a lot of people were into that. Nobody wanted to go with me to the mountains, get some dirt on them and things like that. So traveling, (laughs) right, right. They don't don't want to miss out on getting dirt on you, (laughs) but traveling, (laughs) being on Instagram, it's brought me a community of people like-minded like yourself Mm -hmm. who are able to go do these things. And I was talking to a friend who is maybe 25 years older than me. And he was telling me, yeah, once you realize, once you become an adult, you're able to choose your friends. And yeah. traveling, he's into traveling. Traveling can bring you those friends. You can meet them. And being with those like-minded people really helps out in a community sense, which is why Instagram, yeah. Yeah. social medias, websites, all that stuff is awesome. And that all is just comes from traveling to different places. I've met you. I've met tons of different people through these platforms traveling to go see them. I'm sure you've seen a lot of people yeah. travel to. Dude, I mean, my 
honestly, so many of my closest friends these days, like, are people that I've met traveling. Like, we met for a weekend. We met for, like, a day in the mountains in some random country in the middle of nowhere, and, like, I'm still talking to you. Like, you just meet like-minded people when you're doing the things that you want to be doing. But I also think it's interesting, like, where you come from, because, like, we're especially in the Sierra Nevada, like, you are, like, the Sierra guy. Like, people want to know about, like, the Eastern Sierras, like, you're their person. If people want to know about Sequoia, you're the person. You are, like, that mountain range is, like, synonymous. with Like, you are, like, the king of that world. And, it, it, like, I, I know you were telling me this a little bit about, like, people coming up to you, like, oh, you're the 100 Sunrises guy or something like that. You're starting to get, like, like, people know that that's what you do. Like, has that translated into, you know, people from your hometown that have been interested in, like, what you're into dude that's really crazy um that you bring that up after high school didn't talk to nobody for a couple years and just this year i've seen a lot of people and before that they didn't really pay attention to any of my stuff and seeing them this year they're like yo like you're doing some crazy stuff and i think for me i don't know why this way it hits more people from my hometown starting to appreciate what i do means more than people out, out around the world. Maybe just because I grew up with them and I know them. But mm-hmm. I'm at the point where they're starting to like tell me like, dude, like you're doing amazing work. And these people that I grew up with are telling me that stuff. So it's pretty amazing. And it's definitely translated in the last six months heavily. Going from being recognized yeah. from people on the trail to now my friends now calling me up saying, dude, Keep going. Keep doing what you're doing. That's so awesome, man. That's so cool. That's, I've had a similar experience back home. Like, all these people that, like, I was, like, friendly-ish with. And then, man, haven't talked to them in years. And then I, like, went back and went to a party in my hometown. And I saw saw a bunch of people. And they were just, like, all so interested in, like, all my traveling and stuff. And I'm like, it's cool that they're actually like interested in whatever and you see like people are doing similar things to you and like want to do similar things to you that like had no ambitions to do that in the past and it's interesting it's cool i i think people like me and you we kind of grew up fast in the terms of traveling and knowing what we want in the sense because most people when we were 18 were just doing the normal stuff, hanging out with friends, all that stuff. You went to college, did all that. But like a lot of people don't know that they want to, what they want to do for a long time. And that's perfectly okay. But us, we've been out there. We've been in it. We've been in the trenches, on the trails, traveling these different places. So it's kind of crazy. People now are finally starting to wake up a little bit and be like, whoa, you travel all these places. And it's kind of cool that we'll share those experiences with them because you know that maybe when they start a family, that that information you gave your friend might be able to help them out when they take their family out on that week-long oh, trip yeah. to Europe. Right, right. I mean, yeah, even even more than that, it's just like helping people like go do things in their bucket list. Like every time someone reaches out to me and they're like, uh, give me travel tips for this place, like I spend so much time I've literally written so many itineraries. I should make a business out of it. I should be like a travel agent, honestly, a trip planner. But 
I mean, I just do it for fun. Like people are like, where'd you go? And I'm just like, I tell them everything they need to know. That's kind of why I'm moving to a blog also, because I want to like share it with them. But like, it's just such a cool experience to be able to, you know, help people do what they want to do. And like, if they have a bucket list placed in mind, you know, giving them itinerary advice, like how to get over your fears and like all that stuff is just has an impact and like lets everyone have similar experiences to you. And it makes you not unique, but it also makes them like doing things that you love doing. And there's nothing better in the world than like sharing that with others. I made a video. It was about, it said helping people is the most selfish thing you can do because it feels amazing when you realize yeah, it does. what you shared with them impacted them and it helped them. And that sounds yeah. wonky, right? Because I'm saying it's selfish. It is. Because if I'm chasing that feeling of helping others because it makes me feel good, that's pretty selfish. Obviously, it's a good thing to help people. And right. I was focusing on this in the video because a lot of people are putting emphasis on Instagram numbers, likes, views, all that. And there's not a lot of uh, original content out there, man. And it's sad to see because people are not creating as much as they should be. And mm -hmm. part of it is I don't blame them as much because they, that's all they know. They see that's what's succeeding right. and they think that's what they need to do. And you got the people who are telling them, do these trends, do this, do that. And I feel a little bit responsible. I'm curious what you think about that. <sighs> like, like Dude. creating your own, like different thing. I'm sure you have quite an opinion. I definitely do as well. Ah, man. I've been really feeling it. I mean, that's one thing I've always been stubborn about not hopping on trends as much. Uh, I know for a while I was creating original sounds because I was just so hyper-focused on not being like everyone else because mm -hmm. I literally, you scroll through reels, the same video over and over and over and over yeah, and yeah. over and over again. I get it. Mm -hmm. You guys are not all, creators in terms of videographers photographers i'm not telling you to be but dude pick a song that you like doesn't gotta be the most popular song maybe you might not get as many views maybe you might not get as many likes but i can tell you the times i've done that i've got more real authentic engagement with the real videos i made because it was genuine it was authentic it wasn't just copying everyone else and it it kind of saddens me seeing the biggest people on the platform leading the way with trends trending audios every single time i'm not saying you can't use trending audios because there's some songs i like that are trending perfectly fine but do what you like create things that you want to create don't create things that everyone else is creating yeah so, the biggest thing for me is like it was interesting because i went on a i went on a photographer's trip to norway and the people i was with like definitely were much more into the sense of like we want to get like the the shot like we're in uh like this town of ren in northern norway and i mean it's one of the most famous views in the world like obviously i want that picture too like it's awesome but i all like i don't want to spend the entire time there like i want to really focus on like 
the other aspects of it. Like what else is here that could be interesting? I guess it was like, it was very interesting because I found myself wandering off like a lot more. We were, we were doing like a whole like sharing photos thing. So like every day we would go and we would upload each other's raws onto our computers. So like we all kind of collaborated in the sense of like, you cover this angle, you cover this angle, you do this angle. And I was always the person who was going like getting different views. Like that was like my thing was like, I'm going to go like get alternate shots. Cause for me, that was what was interesting. And for them, like they wanted like the iconic shots. It was like a different mindset for me. I wanted something unique. I wanted a more personal experience, a more personal photo, but it was very interesting dynamic seeing like the differing of like, what do we want to shoot? Cause I guess a lot of people like they really, they want that. Like they see the picture a million times and they're like, I want that picture. Like I want to be there. I want to take that photo. I want to have that same experience. Like, so I kind of get it in that sense. It's not something I personally enjoy too much. Like I'll stop by there, take a quick snap, move on or like find a different angle or something. I'm not sure. I'm the same way, man. I don't like getting the same photos. Everyone else. I know Jordan Leffler, out of Montana. I had him on here about a week ago. He photographs Montana, lives there, born and raised. He said that the way he goes about photographing mountains and popular locations, he tries to do it in a different way, obviously, right? But for him, his example was he does these low to the ground foreground shots, right? He drops a piece mm-hmm. of rock onto the water and it splashes. And he captures, he captures the ripple effects of the lake with the mountain out of focus in the background. I mean, most people are going to take the same photo, mountain focus, all this stuff. He goes out of his way to do these things in his photos to make them unique and a personalized experience. And he's able to do that partly because he lives there, right? But you can do that anywhere you live. Like for me, I go to the mountains and I can show you every single secret spot there is like tunnel view. You've probably seen every single angle from there and places like those. You go there to take the famous shot, but you hope for epic conditions as well to get a more unique Mm -hmm. shot. That's one way you can do it. And going to a popular location, you can get epic conditions that not everyone got. And second, Mm -hmm. I'm sure that you can still find a unique shot tunnel view. It's probably really hard, but you can do it if you go to the most randomest angle, include a different element like a person or something. Yeah. You can do it anywhere you go. And I think in that personalized photo is, it's a big deal for me. And yeah, I'm the same way, but I can understand the other side of it too. I can understand. Yeah, for sure. I think there's two ways to go about it. There's definitely our train and then there's the other train. I I do both. I get the photo, the main photo, whatever it is, snap it. Okay. Now it's time to find the photo that's different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And oftentimes the main photo will be way better than what I can do anyway. So I mean, it's not a big deal, but I always like to try and to search and to, do my best. That's kind of the cool thing about going to places that um, are less traveled too. I everywhere is so crowded these days, man. Everywhere, literally. Well, everywhere, you walk, man. yeah. You 
you watch guys like uh, Nigel Danson, he goes out and makes his own compositions all the time. And that's someone yeah, that he does. I aspire to be like, he's able just to compose, compose this area. Yeah, he goes to but, places that are not as popular, though. Like, you know, he's not shooting that, Yosemite. He Can has. walked through Yosemite. It's a zoo these days. Yeah. Zoo. It's a zoo. Well, very I mean, nowadays. You, can't even move. I think composing your own photo is definitely harder at a popular place. It's doable, but going to less known locations, you're right, is easier. But I don't mean just like that. I mean, just being able to like be in your mind, look at a landscape and create those images to the subject that you want to photograph. I think that's definitely, that's a skill. And people say that it's talent. Part of it is, but I think training your eye is also a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah, it is definitely like learning about different compositions. I feel like you can get that like training your eye by shooting the main shots by shooting. Cause like you start to break it down. You're like, yeah, but why is this so popular? Like, Oh, it's the reflection. Oh, it's the way that the like lines lead to the subject or whatever. You know, those little things are like things you pick up on when you look at, you know, the famous spots. Hmm. Well, Jake, I think this is a good spot to close out. I appreciate you coming on here and taking the time to chat with me. I know I was stoked to have yeah, my you on, pleasure, man. man. You definitely are a, pleasure. a source, a source of knowledge. And I can't wait for people to hear this one because they're going to learn a lot. I know I even learned a lot yeah. just listening to you. And I hope that we're going to hang out soon. We definitely will. No, so dude, no where, doubt. where can the people find you on social media? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thanks, Nick. I, I mean, I appreciate having having these talks with you all the time. I feel like every time we get together, whatever, we're talking for hours and just it's crazy. I feel like I could bounce off the walls with you, really. Um, such similar mindsets and like ideas and yet at the same time, so different, which is so cool to learn from each other. Um, but yeah, if you're looking to to find more about my stuff, I guess the biggest thing now is going to be the blog. So I'm going to point people there first, my website which is uh, just foxysphoto.com. There's no S. I couldn't get S in the domain name. Someone else had it. And I didn't want to pay them for it. Maybe I will in the future, but I'm just foxysphoto. Snows.com. It's like, you know, you know, people go around, like they buy domain names and then they like hold them forever. And then they're like, you will pay me for your domain. And I'm like, no, I won't. I'm going to be unique. Yeah, I didn't know that. I'm to buy something. Yeah. So it's, it's F-O-X-Y-S-P-H-O-T-O, foxysphoto.com. No S. <laughs> Um, and then my Instagram, my TikTok, all that foxies.photos. So it's interesting. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll buy that domain. I should do a well, GoFundMe. Buy me my domain name. <laughs> people fund Jake to get his <laughs> domain name, Foxy's Photos. All he needs is an S at the end. Help a guy out. But I if know. you don't want to help him out, <laughs> that's okay. You can visit his Instagram and TikTok. It's Foxy's, no foxy.photos. On TikTok and Instagram. No, no, no. There's an, awesome there's, there's an S on Foxy's. And <laughs> okay, the Instagram so Fox- is Foxy's. Foxy's.photos. Fox- in both cases, it's Foxy's, like with an apostrophe X. <laughs> but okay, Fox- <laughs> in only one Fox- case, is it just photo? I still think it works, though. Like, Foxy's photo works, too. 
Like, I'm happy with that. I feel like I settled a little bit, but it's okay. But Foxy's photos on TikTok and Instagram. I recommend to go follow him there. He's going to be giving you all kinds of information about these landscapes he goes to. He has some epic voiceovers when he does them on reels. Some of my favorite to watch. Definitely an, an original there. And if you're here to follow my account, I'm at the Nick Amp on Instagram, TikTok. I'm Nick Amp on YouTube. We made a podcast account on Instagram and TikTok. It's Nick Amp Podcast. And to see more on YouTube, you can subscribe there to watch it visually. I know you can see me here cheesing, see Jake cheesing, and seeing all my crazy reactions. And for those of you who are listening, again, I appreciate you tuning in. It means the world. I'm trying to build something that is meaningful. That's a community. And I really want to impact you guys positively just as much as you guys impact me when you guys tell me that what I said, what I shared helped you guys out. So again, thank you for watching. Jake, thanks for being on. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it. And I'll see you guys in the next episode.